Hello and welcome to the NBA Next podcast presented by Track. I am Scott Allen and I am joined by Keith Smith. We are here to t- talk about what is next financially in the NBA. Keith, it is unofficially trade season. You put a piece up. December 15th is today. Uh, I want to start off with an NBA 101 though. Uh, what is the difference between a December 15th trade restriction being lifted and a January 15th trade restriction being lifted yeah that's a great question it's um so what happens in the nba is any player who signs over the off season um actually let me rephrase any player who signs in the nba has a automatic three-month trade restriction they can't be traded uh for three months after they sign well you may be saying some of these guys signed in july why are they not eligible in october the one exception to that is the league says you cannot trade anybody you signed in the summertime until December 15th. Essentially what they do is say, hey, you got to give it at least two months before you say, ah, we made a mistake, let's move this guy. And part of it is also they don't want teams signing players with the idea solely of we're going to trade them. That does happen. We all know that's real, but they don't want that being, hey, we stacked up the contract. So then a day or two before the season starts, we can stack all these minimum deals together and go make a trade or something like that. So so that's the December 15th uh, restriction, the January 15th restriction. What happens in that case is any player who resigns with their team. Um, and gets a large enough raise, a 20% or more raise, and uh, using their bird rights, they get a January 15th trade restriction. So what happens on those ones, and the idea behind it is, the league doesn't want you re-signing guys with, again, the sole intent of, let's trade them. Now, you can do that through a sign-in trade, obviously, but the intention here isn't just, hey, let's pay guys a whole bunch, load them up, and make a what would be an off-season transaction, and kind of go forward with that. So that's that's why they do that. Um, th- those two separate, um, you know, kind of dates on those. So today, it's about 80 players uh, became eligible to be traded as of today. And then January 15th, we'll add by January 15th, because there's a couple sprinkled in there uh, between there, because some guys signed, you know, in September, and now they're going to lift in mid mid to late December. Um, but about another 28 players. So that's almost... Almost one fifth of the league or so uh, will will be trade eligible here within the next. Uh, uh, well, what are we saying? A month from from now. So, from a semantic standpoint, you say today. So, does that mean at midnight they were able to be traded? So, like right now, or is it a like a four p.m. Eastern Standard Time? As soon as that hits, they're allowed to be traded. Yeah, it's today. Uh, so it's like like we're it's nine o'clock uh, as we you and I record this. So those guys are eligible. You can trade them right now. It doesn't need All to right. wait. Okay, awesome. So let's dive into some of these names that you've uh, got a keep your eye on right now. Kind of names. Uh, Zach Levine is your number one player to keep an eye on. Um, a, what is the best spot for him? And B. I don't think he's eligible to be traded today, correct? Uh, he is, actually. He, he could be traded right now. The challenge with okay. Zach Levine is his number is so big um, at $40 million. Some teams may need to wait until January 15th. <clears throat> Los Angeles Lakers. Um, sorry, just got to clear clear my throat a bit there. Um, no, it really – what that's, that's one of the rumored spots. Levine supposedly wants to be there. The Lakers have interest. But for the Lakers to get there and match the $40 million number, um, they may need – 
uh, a couple guys to become trade eligible, whether that's Rui Hachimura or Austin Reeves. Uh, one of the two of them would very likely need to be in the deal, presumably along with D'Angelo Russell, uh, in order for them to match salary. So that's why we kind of threw that note in there at the end. Um, but Levine could be traded right now. There's no restriction on him uh, as a player because he's in year two of his contract. So he, he could go you know, today and be moved. And this one is cheating a little bit. Last year we cheated with Jay Crowder because Jay Crowder, we, we all knew like the Suns were trying to trade Jay Crowder. And then that ended up taking basically to the trade deadline. Um, and that may be what happens with Zach Levine as well. Um, just again, it's a very big number. He's also not healthy right now. So teams are going to be a little like, yeah, we got to make sure this foot inflammation isn't going to be a real thing for the rest of um, uh, the season or, you know, God forbid, a long-term thing. So he's definitely in the news cycle, but I would expect this one to be where we're going to get a lot of quote unquote news um, without a lot actually happening with Zach Levine. Uh, At least we're probably, I'm going to say at least another month, if not, you know, all the way up to the deadline. It sounds like LA is the place for him to potentially land, but is there another sneaky team that you think he would fit really well with that should go after him? Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, he can fit a lot of places. I've been kind of toying with the idea. Could he make sense for a team like Golden State if they wanted to, to move one of their big salaries and really say, all right, you know what? We really need to shake things up around Stephen Curry. Uh, let's do that. I think there's a world where the Sacramento Kings could get involved uh, for Zach Levine. Um, if we go all the way back to not the current contract he's on, but his prior contract, the Kings actually signed him to an offer sheet. Uh, then and the Bulls matched that offer sheet. So that was you know several years ago now, but they at least had some interest uh, at at that point. Uh, so he he's a guy I think could make you know a lot of sense um, at either one of those places. And then there's it's not anything I would do, but there is some bubbling that the Detroit Pistons, who are currently you know uh, honing in on the uh, NBA's all time longest losing streak they could make a big swing where it's like, Hey, let's at least get some veterans in here and try to start this thing in a different direction. I would not go that direction if I was Detroit to just to be very, very clear, Um, but it's there. And then I think the Indiana Pacers are another team I think could get potentially involved with Levine. I think this is just going to be a, no one's going to rush right now, especially with them being hurt. Let's wait. Let's watch this develop a little bit. And then let's see where, where it all goes from there. John Carter is another name you've got next uh, after Zach Levine here. What's a potential landing spot for him, and what kind of contract does he ever make? Yeah, Javon Carter is a guy that basically anybody could trade for because he only makes just over $6 million, uh this year, and he is got then two years left at 6.5 and then 6.8 with a player option on the final season. Javon Carter has played well for the Bulls. He was an offseason signing for the Bulls. The it was a little bit of a weird signing then made weirder by some later moves that Chicago made because Chicago also re-signed Kobe White. Then they ended up later in the offseason re-signing Io DeSunmu, and both of those guys got three-year contracts too. And then at some point, hopefully next year, Lonzo Ball will be back. So that's just a lot of guards in the mix with none of them really being 
true off-ball players. They're almost all uh, more on-ball type players. Carter can obviously play off-ball, but he's smaller, so he really is a point guard. So I think one of the things you could potentially see is the Bulls say, all right, you know what, let's go. Every year there is somebody who's an off-season signing that that gets traded uh, at some point. So they are um, – that that could be one of the guys that a team says, you know, a very acquirable. He plays the least of all Chicago's guards. Let's go get him. And a lot of teams are going to be, you know, obviously eyes on the Bulls with the Levine situation. DeMar DeRozan's expiring contract. Nikola Vucevic could be a movable veteran. So there's a lot of stuff in play with Chicago. And I think uh, Javon Carter's a guy teams could target. Reggie Jackson is on your list with, from the Denver Nuggets. And for a juggernaut of a team, is this more of a let's try to get some more depth on the team that you you have him on this list? Yeah, so Reggie Jackson is, to be clear, he's playing really well for Denver. He's a key part of their team uh, right now. Uh, Jamal Murray is, you know, he's back, he's healthy, but Jamal Murray doesn't play back-to-backs. Uh, they spot him rest days. Just Denver's obviously, they're, they're playing for a title, right? They're, they're trying to make sure they, they are there at the end again. Um, so Reggie Jackson gets a lot of playing time starts and he's playing really well, but Reggie Jackson was a minimum salary player a year ago after a buyout. And then what happened with him was Denver very kind of curiously gave him, uh, their full, um, taxpayer mid-level exception, um, of $5 million. And a lot of people were like, why did they do that? That's an overpay for Reggie Jackson. But if you kind of put the tea leaves together a little bit here, what you end up seeing is they overpaid him a little, got him to waive his implied no trade clause, which is also kind of one of the key components here. And my thought is they don't have a ton of tradable salary because all of their bigger salaries belong to rotation guys, whether it be Jokic or Murray or Michael Porter Jr. or Aaron Gordon or Contavious Caldwell-Pope. And then their bench is a lot of lower salaried guys. So I think there's a world where Denver, if they really need to make an upgrade, Reggie Jackson is a guy who could go just simply because his contract was set up in a way where it was made basically to be traded. Miles Bridges, probably one of the best valued free agent signings because of the situation that he was in. Um, where do you think he may land? It's one year, $7.9 million to match. Um, and I'm assuming the Hornets are just, you know, ripping band-aids off and continuous. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, the challenge with Miles Bridges is obviously any team trading for him, you're going to have to take a PR hit because a lot of people are going to come out and say, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Um, he not only had the you know, missed the entirety of last season and then finished a suspension at the beginning part of this season, he is in a spot where he now has another issue that's at least out there being investigated, looked into to some extent. We haven't heard much more since it came up initially. Maybe it's going to turn out to be, you know, something that doesn't need any further action we'll find out but the reality is there's still a lot of people who are very down on miles bridges so if you're going to bring him in you're going to need to sell to everybody hey we believe he's a changed person he's going to be a better person now if we isolate it to miles bridges a basketball player he's having a really good season and he looks an awful lot like the guy who two years ago uh at the start of free agency should have been probably getting a max contract from somebody, if not the Hornets, somebody else as a restricted free agent. 
this is also one where you got to read the tea leaves a little bit. He he was reported very early on in free agency that him and the Hornets were not close on a long-term deal. So he just went ahead and signed the uh, the one-year qualifying offer for $7.9 million. So what that ends up doing uh, for Bridges is that puts him in a spot where uh, he can block any trade um, because he's got that implied no-trade clause from the one-year uh, contract with bird rights at the end. But it's also known Bridges probably doesn't really – gonna stay with charlotte uh at this point now we'll see things could always change i know he's a uh, lamella ball really likes him they're obviously committed to ball moving forward he is playing really well so we'll see if the hornets decide all right we want to re-up and we we can move forward but as of right now there's a lot of stuff out there that he may be just kind of playing out this year in charlotte before moving on and if that's the case it would behoove the hornets very much to go go get something before you lose them for nothing Teammate Gordon Hayward is on your list. He has one year, $31.5 million salary. Finally, at the end of this contract, it feels like he's been on this contract forever. So <laughs> It does. Where, where is a good landing spot for him? Is he having a good season that teams are really going to target him? Yeah, he's having a great season. He he really is uh, playing well. He's shooting really well. Uh, he's back to you know moving the ball and being a, a really good all around player. Rebounds, passes, his defense is better than he gets credit for. Done a you know absolutely woeful defensive team. Uh, he at least generally holds up most nights. The challenges are twofold. Thirty one point five million dollars is a very big number uh, to match on in a trade. It's also Gordon Hayward where he stayed healthy this year, but you know everybody's going to be kind of like, is the next injury right around the corner? And if that injury, if your playoff team comes in late April, that's you know a potential season-ruining type thing. There's a lot of thought out there of maybe he just gets bought out. Maybe the Hornets buy him out and he goes. Here's the problem. In a buyout situation for Gordon Hayward, under the new rules this year, and this is one of the CBA rules for tax aprons team teams that are that is in place right now today, they can't sign buyout players that make more than uh, the non-taxpayer mid mid-level amount, which is about twelve point four million. Obviously, Hayward's well above that, so we could immediately eliminate the following teams from being suitors for Gordon Hayward: Boston, Denver, Golden State, the Clippers, the Heat the Bucks and the uh, Suns. All of those teams would be completely out, no chance to, to go get Gordon Hayward. So so your problem with all of this is those are teams that I think would all love to have him. He'd be a great fit. So that kind of limits his market a little bit. I think, you know, a team he would make a lot of sense for, like Minnesota could could you know be a team that could make sense. It's a little hard for them to match that number because again it's such a big salary. Uh, and they, they, they get their bigger tradable salaries are all guys they like and are guys they wouldn't trade in a Gordon Hayward trade. So that gets gets tricky. But they could be a team that they've got enough uh, wiggle room under the apron where they could say, hey, we can bring them in because they're not an apron team. They could bring them in by a buyout. So this one may end up going the buyout route. It may just play out where Charlotte says, no, we're just going to keep them and let them finish the year here, and then they, they just kind of go from there. So we'll, we'll see. That one is, um, you know, there, there's a lot yet to be written on that one. 
Last player you have listed here is Jeremy Grant, Portland Trailblazers. Uh, we knew this was uh, the writing on the wall when he signed this, and at some point he was going to get moved. What's a good place for him um, in status for the current season? Yeah, and the big thing with Jeremy Grant is get him now while his number is a little lower. He's about $27.6 million this year. So if you could get him right now, uh, that's better than trading for him in a year or two when his contract climbs into the 30 and then 30 plus million range. So it's just a little easier to match salary. Like you said, we kind of knew, all right, this is probably where this is going when Portland uh, re-signed him. And then they felt like and, and it's it's been unfairly painted that that caused Damian Lillard to ask for a trade. That isn't what happened at all. But Damian Lillard did on the backside of that say, yeah, I don't want to be here anymore. So that turned turned into, man, you know, do, do you remember, I think we even talked about it on a show. People were, were they just going to say, no, we're not re-signing Jeremy Grant, which obviously they would not go back on that. He's a guy, again, help a whole bunch of teams. And because his number, I mean, you're talking about a uh, salary that's $4 million less than Gordon Hayward, who we just talked about. So that makes it that much more easily acquirable in a trade because you don't have to match quite as much salary. And Jeremy Grant has shown he can be, he's probably best if he's your third or fourth best player, but he can do stuff if you need him to be your second best guy. There's things he can do off the dribble and he can handle the ball and pass and uh, that he's always a solid defensive player. So he's a guy I think you could see again, some of those contenders target, especially if they're in a spot where it's like, you know, we actually kind of like him beyond this year too. Uh, Philadelphia 76ers come come to mind. If Philadelphia was like, you know, we'll punt on some of this cap flexibility in a little bit of a pre-agency move here where we'll get Jeremy Grant because we think we we can really you know keep him long-term. He could be a guy they could could potentially target. I think he's a guy who could maybe make a little bit of sense in Memphis if they wanted to start cashing in some of their assets and saying, hey, we're, we're not going to be free agent players, but we could get this guy and he'd be a big part of things. And he just kind of fits everything Memphis is about. The challenge for Memphis is it's going to be, do we really want to do this right now in this season? But they're going to get roughly a month and a half of John Morant and see, hey, have we gotten it turned around? Have we gotten things moving? Last sneaky team I'll throw out there just because I think he could fit there. It'd be a really interesting piece for them. The one challenge is they already have a million forwards, including young ones they really like. But the Houston Rockets could could be an interesting spot for him. And I'll throw one more, the Indiana Pacers again, because they've got the contracts they could put together, and they've got a little bit of cap space to really make a trade much uh, easier to facilitate. So I think they could be a team in on Jeremy Grant as well. Is there a chance that Grant and his contract could go to – a team that is lower in the standings, they hold Pat for, uh, uh, you know, till the off season or next trade deadline and then flip them again, sort of like Oklahoma City did for a few years where they, they took on Chris Paul and then flipped him again to just keep acquiring assets from, you know, that contract standpoint. It's, it's certainly possible. I never rule anything like that out. I think your challenge is Portland would just probably want to do that themselves. And it's a little weird because what would those teams send back to Portland uh, in a right. trade like that? That that's where anytime it's a bad team trading with another bad team, it's 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 always hard to find a match that isn't actually basketball related um, for them. So it's not Portland's not in a spot where I think they just want a full on salary dump 
uh, Jeremy Grant, I'm sure they'd welcome some cap relief uh, moving forward. But I think I think they're, they they would make that move for themselves first uh, to get the assets, and then then if you're another team, if you gave up real stuff to get him, I don't think then you're you're going to look to flip him very quickly. You could see a team like Oklahoma City. It's funny I've mentioned because he's he's traveled a bit here, a couple teams he's already played for. Um, Oklahoma City could trade for him, but I think they'd be trading for him very much to have him. Um, you know, as a part of things, but the way they work in Oklahoma city is they could give it a year and then say, all right, you know what? It's not really going the way we want. And then they could look to move that. That's certainly possible. Any honorable mention players that you had in mind, but you left off your list. There, there really wasn't. Um, Cause I kind of tried to cover that in the team section where like there are definitely teams. Everybody's kind of got their eyes on here uh, Two I didn't cover, but the New York Knicks, it feels like there's something is going to happen. They've just got too many guys who need to play. And a lot of those guys are guards. And it feels like we're kind of hitting a uh, breaking point where a couple of those guys have now come out and said, Hey, I need to play more and I need to see the ball more. So that seems like that one might be hitting a breaking point. And then Mark Stein, uh, just last night reported Utah is a team that teams are really kind of um, honing in on of like, all right, let's, let's, let's go. We're, we've probably got a, a handful of teams here. And then I mentioned uh, one good team and then three, uh, I, I'm calling them the trio of woe um, that I think, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be very active uh, this uh, trade season. Yeah. And which teams are those then? Yeah. So the good team is the Lakers. Um, Lakers are, they're full on in title mode, right? They, they are trying to win a championship. The Levine stuff is out there, but insert superstar X, whoever it is, um, that next is mentioned, the Lakers are going to be involved and the Lakers set, set up their contracts to be pretty tradable. Uh, you know, D'Angelo Russell, again, another guy who implied, waived that implied no trade clause um, because I think the Lakers gave him a little bit more money than he would have got otherwise. And that contract very set up to be traded. Rui Hachimura could be traded uh, and flipped. Gabe Vincent, an offseason signing. I don't think they signed him with the intention of trading him, but again, a very tradable number. And even if it was a good enough player where it was like, this is the guy to put with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, I think Austin Reeves could could also be in the mix, uh, potentially. That's going to have to take a lot, I think, for Reeves to get moved because I think they love him. I know they love him at the number they have him on. Of you know, uh, 54 million over the next four seasons. So I think that is a spot though where you look at it and you say, yeah, you know what? Like you 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 put together Russell, Hachimura, and Vincent, you're in on anybody. You know, even two of those guys, you you really can be in on anybody via trade. So the Lakers are going to be there, and then I kind of mentioned the trio of woe. That's mm-hmm. Detroit, San Antonio, and Washington. Uh, let's see. Let, let, let's make sure we get this accurate. As of right now, Detroit is two and twenty-two and on a twenty-one game losing streak. San Antonio is three and twenty and on an eighteen game losing streak. And the Wizards are just as bad record-wise. They're three and twenty, but they've spread their their losing streaks out a little bit. But they're on a six-game losing streak. So that is uh, doing some quick math. That's forty-five consecutive losses. Uh, by those those three teams, and uh, they they have combined for a total of eight wins on the season, a quarter of the way through. So uh, just absolutely terrible teams, and all of them have some veterans that don't 
really make a lot of sense uh, for them to still have. So I think what you could very easily see is the Pistons. I think this year, Bogdanovich, Burks makes a lot more sense to trade those guys. Joe Harris and Monte Morris were uh, off-season veteran additions. Really, they ate the contracts, but they were hoping they'd be a big part of it. Now, I was clear in the piece. Pistons don't need to just give those guys away, but they're luxuries. You don't need them. You, you should be trading them off to contenders. I know you're starting over, but what I said is when the boat's already at the bottom of the lake, you can't keep bailing it out. You just got to go get a new boat. It's time to get a new boat for the Pistons. On the Spurs side, they stink, um, but at least they have Victor Wembanyama. Um, that you know that you can kind of sell moving forward. So you're looking at Kelvin Johnson's name has been thrown out there recently. Makes sense. They've got a huge log jam at the wing. That could be a spot where they could move on uh, from Johnson and either in a rebouncing trade or get a bunch of assets. And then veterans like Doug McDermott and Jetty Osman, just again guys you don't really need. And those are guys wing shooting and scoring teams are always looking for um, at the trade deadline. So those guys could be a part of things. And then for the Wizards, this was they, unlike the Spurs and Pistons, who I think were, I don't know that they had delusions of we're going to be playoff teams, but I think they thought they'd be much better. Washington knew they were going to be bad. This was intentional. And most Wizards fans are like, yep, and this is the best thing that's happened here in years because they're no longer just sitting in the middle. And so for them, you've got guys like Tyus Jones, Danilo Gallinari, DeLon Wright, Mike Muscala, maybe even Landry Shamit. They're all on expiring contracts, or in the case of Shamit, he's got a couple years left that are non-guaranteed. So those guys could all be very easily moved. None of their contract numbers are very large. Um, And Washington is very clearly in the mode of, we're just going to uh, keep piling up assets as we we turn this. They're kind of where you referenced Oklahoma City, uh, where they were a few years ago, or I guess a couple years ago. Uh, Washington's kind of there now, where they may act as a way station for a whole bunch of veteran guys and just keep moving players and cycling them through. All right, we will see what happens in the next month. It looks like, based on your article, we've only had, what, five trades up until January 16th of a year, so over the last five years. Uh, so there's been not a lot of trades here in the uh, in the early onset of uh, trade restrictions being lifted. Yeah, here. this Maybe is... we'll get one here. <laughs> this is not like free agency opens and then you get uh, 10 Woj bombs in the first hour. Uh, that's not how trade season works, but each uh, of the last five years, we have had a trade within the first uh, you know week or a uh, couple of weeks of trade season opening. I know the one looks a little weird, um, but we got to remember that was on a COVID adjusted calendar where the season started much later. Um, trade seasons opened much later. So, so we're in a spot where, yeah, I think we could see a bunch of these teams, um, you know, maybe make a move here in the next couple of weeks. And it might be something small. Uh, none of those deals, other than the James Harden one, none of those were true blockbuster deals. Uh, a couple good ones in there, the Ariza trade and the Clarkson trade um, at the time. But yeah, teams do get active uh, somewhat early. So so we'll, we'll see. But yeah, the good stuff, it's going to come after January 15th and really much, much closer to, to the trade deadline. You're talking you know, very end of January or that first week of uh, February. You wrote a piece, De'Aaron Fox's next contract series on the heels of the report that came out that he was offered an extension uh, that was obviously declined. Uh, 
So what was the offer that came out that he did decline? And then let's lead that into what is that setting him up for in the future for a possible extension? Yeah, it was a two year, hundred plus million dollar extension, which is basically the most the Kings uh, could offer De'Aaron Fox right now. Uh, They they can only really offer him the standard veteran extension, which is, hey, we're going to give you two years, um, you know, at this point, because he is on his current contract. Uh, unable to extend for more than that because he has three years remaining. So he'd only be able to take his current deal plus new years up to five total years. It's, it's five total years for a standard veteran extension. And that includes years remaining. So, and that obviously includes the current season. So, so that's two, two years. And for De'Aaron Fox with how well he is playing, he was 100% right to say, thanks, but no thanks. And now, I want to be very clear, and Chris Haynes did a great job outlining this in his reporting on this. This was not De'Aaron Fox saying, nope, don't want to be with the Kings anymore. I want out of here. This was De'Aaron Fox basically saying, no, I want to be here, but I want you to give me even more money when I'm eligible for that. Then that's what the crux of the piece was about, was breaking down what those different options look like, as we tend to do in the next contract piece. So a veteran extension, when can he actually like really cash in next? Yeah, so he could do this summer. Um, uh, so the other thing that's important too, he can't extend anymore this season because he's got more than one year left. That's over for him. There's no more extension talks. This summer, he could do a veteran extension. And the difference is it wouldn't be two years, $100 million. It would be three years, about $167 million. Because what he could do is he could add three years on uh, to that, uh, to his current contract. Because at that point in the summertime, he'd only have two years left. So he would go. Now, he's right on the cusp of being capped at the uh, 30% of the uh, cap maximum in an extension or he could get the 140%. A lot of this is, and these are all over the place right now, uh, the cap projections, what they'll come in at for next year, which then will impact the future years. But for what we're working with today, he'd be right on the borderline of that. So he'd be capped at about $51.5 million in first-year salary. That would jump up to about 55 and a half, and then almost $60 million in his final year. So that'd be three years, like I said, about 167-ish million, um, which is what what he would get total um, in this new extension. So that's kind of where we're at uh, with the veteran extension. But again, Darren Fox, I don't think he's going to take that either. I think he's thinking even bigger. So what is bigger? Designated veteran extension for sure. Is he in a place right now from a production standpoint and game standpoint as he played enough games, uh, you know, that's going to allow him to get an all NBA team to uh, level up to that designated veteran extension. Yep. So he is certainly playing at an all NBA level. Now we're going to find out this is the first year uh, with all NBA We're we're glad you referenced the games played criteria. That's going to be a big one. We're going to see, you know, how many guys are eliminated from consideration because of the games played criteria that the league added. We're also going to see, the All-NBA teams are now positionless um, in this new world. So we're going to find out how does that impact things. Does It used to be, for a guy like Darren Fox, I need to be one of the best six guards in the league. But let's say there are seven centers that are playing better. Well, that takes four other spots away. 
And it, I don't think there's going to be seven centers, to be clear, but that's just an example. So you could be in a spot where it's, you know what, it's all wing, you know, it's all forwards that that are really having the impact. And maybe we end up with, you know, instead of six uh, All NBA forward spots, maybe we end up with eight, and then those got to come away from somewhere else. So that's going to make it potentially a little harder. Or if it's, yeah, we don't have a lot of good forwards, maybe an extra guard makes it, and maybe that helps a guy like Darren Fox. So we're going to find out. Why is that important? Well, in order to sign the designated player extension, you need to do one of the following. You need to win MVP. I can say with all confidence, he's not going to win MVP. Um, we could tell you, or you need to win defensive player of the year and take that off the table too. That's not happening. Or you make an all NBA team. That looks likely. If he makes all NBA this season, this summer, Fox could do a designated veteran extension, which would be the four year version of that. This is very similar to what Carl Anthony Towns and Devin Booker signed a couple of years ago when they they were going into having two years left and they added four new years. Now, you may be saying, didn't you just say it was only five years? That's on a standard veteran extension. On a designated veteran, you can add up to six total years. So you could add, you know, in Fox's case this summer, Two years left, he would add four years. That'd be four years in two hundred and sixty-nine million in new money that he could add um, after the two years left on his contract. So that's an additional year in a hundred million dollars more than what he could make, and that would be the thirty-five percent of the cap maximum, which projects to start at about sixty point one million dollars um, that season, and then he would wrap up at almost seventy-five million in the final year of his contract. So he, he, he just starts to touch Shohei Otani range. And then he only, like you alluded to there, he only has two seasons left at that point. But if he wanted to even kick the can down the road a little bit more, he could potentially do a designated veteran extension in 2025. If he wanted to go wait that long. Absolutely. Or, the benefit is if he doesn't make all NBA this year, he gets another crack at it in 20 the in the 2024-25 uh, season, next season, and then he would be eligible to add 5 years on in the summer of uh um 2025, he would add 5 years cuz he'd only have 1 year left on his current contract. That gets to be 5 years and 350 million in new money um that he would add on at that point. So now we are full on. Now we are in the Shohei Otani range. Unfortunately, NBA, no no deferments. He can only take $2 bucks and then take uh, whatever it is, $68 million a year after or anything like that. That, that down, down the line. That, that's not allowed. He'll uh, he'll have to take his money all, all when he gets it um, with that. But that would, again, be 35% of the cap, starting at about $60.1 million, and then ending – after in a fifth year in the 2030-31 season at about $79.4 million is where he would end. Now, there's one other thing. Darren Fox, let's say he doesn't make All-NBA this season, doesn't make All-NBA next season. He would have one last chance to cash in. Then he could make All-NBA in 25-26 in the last year of his current contract. Then he would be eligible to sign what they call a designated veteran contract. It would not be an extension in that, but that gives him the ability to get that full five years that he could have gotten 
in the extension. He just gets it as a new contract. Now, the nice thing is, as a new contract, he could add a no-trade clause. He could add all sorts of stuff um, if they wanted to, much like what Bradley Beal did uh, at that point. So he would it would be exactly what I laid out, that 60.1, then the fifth year ending at 79.4. Um, but that would be as a new contract. So he really has kind of three chances to get to a point. To be very clear, if he makes All-NBA this year, he's going to very likely sign uh, the designated veteran uh, extension because if he doesn't make it the next year, he wouldn't be eligible anymore. He would lose that eligibility. So he'll do it, I think, if he makes it right away. Uh, it just It's just because it's kind of a funny little quirk. It would follow Booker and Towns, who are also Kentucky products, uh, along with Fox. So all of them would be kind of cashing in the same sort of way. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see timing-wise but with knowing, you know, the cap projection going up at potentially 10% and the media rights and everything else coming in. Um, you know, ti- timing is everything in the NBA. But, you know, if he hits that all-NBA this season, it's going to make you wonder, is he really going to take that designated veteran just to cash in now before a potential, you know, when we get to the next CBA, if things end up changing with rules or, you know, grandfathering, you know, guys want to get their money now. Um, you know, you mentioned the the deferral in, in the NBA is not allowed. Yeah. I, I'm curious, you know, in the back of your mind, as you go over the next couple months with this whole Shohei Otani situation, if teams and players start to, you know, put that on the back burner for a potential, you know, contract negotiation in the next CBA, are they going to want these deferrals or not? I mean, my guess is no, but I'm I'm just curious because of all of the, you know, spotlight on these deferrals, if that's going to be something that, you know, teams and players and agents sort of start to talk about. Yeah, it could could very well be. They fought very hard, and this is really a, started about three CBAs ago, um, and it's continued. They, they continue to look for more ways to get more upfront money. Um, and teams have – we don't spend an awful lot of time on it because it's not – we focus more on how do the contracts impact, like, the roster-building component – but players can get upfront payments um, from teams uh, that very famously came up with the Ben Simmons situation where it was that he had all these upfront payments. How are those being impacted and who's going to own what out of that? And when he gets traded, who does that money like actually does, does the other team have to pay it back to the 76ers or to the Nets? Or, or I'm sorry, just 76ers and Nets haven't traded him. Um, but the, the 76ers, you know, has that been – you know, a thing, you know, well, what happens there? So I think what you're in a spot here is they, we're, we're, we're going to see that kind of come up potentially because I think what players may look at it is, hey, I can invest and I can do a lot of different things here um, that I couldn't do before. So what I want to do is maybe, yeah, I'm going to do uh, some of this, some of this way to get some money and I can live off, you know, a chunk of my contract right now. But yeah, I'd rather be getting paid, you know, still generational wealth 20, 30 years from now, whether it's me or my family or whoever. So you could see that come in. But as of right now, I don't think we're going to see that, uh, you know, turn, turn into either. a thing yet. But, but you never know, you know, and guys may look at it and be like, uh, hey, yeah, 60 million uh, when I'm 50. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, let's do that. As of right now, to finish off this 
part, if you were De'Aaron Fox, which scenario would you eye up the most right Make now? Make All-NBA this year and then sign the four-year uh, designated veteran extension. That doesn't – it takes – that takes very little off the table because then at worst you're back on the market. Um, in what could have been a fifth year, um, you'll be back on the market as a max you know, player coming off a max deal at that point. So I would just get, get, get it done, get your money right now. Um, I think that is you know, what will happen. Should he be eligible? I think you'll, you'll see that, that uh, be done. And the other thing that's important to know too, last thing I'll say on this is it is, um, People get stuck on, well, what if he waits after, you know, the new TV deal, he could get more money. He really can't because it's going to be 35% of the cap, whatever the cap is. Um, so whatever the cap is set at, that's what he's going to get. So so he's locking in for the most possible money. It's just we don't know exactly what that will be set at just yet. Um, and that's important to know, too, because that's important to, to these guys. And that's, I think, one good thing the NBA has really done in these situations is there is little reason to wait because your max deal. Now, when guys get into year 10, 11, 12 of their career, you can't get more than, than 35% of the cap. So then what we see sometimes is, I don't want to lock in on a three-year deal. Let's do the one plus one now kind of played out year to year. That is a way to lock in more money in total. But for Fox in the middle of his career going into his prime years, get it locked up, go, go into it right now. Cause there's just no reason to wait. Draymond green was indefinitely suspended, uh, for his conduct, continued conduct on the court. Uh, what does an indefinite suspension mean right now for Draymond green? We don't know. We don't know how long he's going to be gone. game one was last night, uh, as they, they, they played in uh, lost to the LA Clippers. So we're kind of on a game by game scenario here. But I can say nobody expects this to be short. Uh, Draymond Green, uh, the NBA, the Golden State Warriors, Clutch Sports, who represents Draymond Green, the NBPA, who represents all the players, all seem in agreement. He needs to go away and get real help and figure out what is happening to continue to cause the things that happen on the court with him. What we've seen now was... There was a, you know, obviously before the Rudy Gobert situation, there was a lot of stuff that had already happened. That's why they came down on him so hard on the Rudy Gobert situation, which was five games. And a lot of people were like, that seemed like it should have been more. Um, but I think the NBA was trying to trying to split the difference a little here. Of, All right, man, like you, you, we, we got to be smarter about this. This one, there was no reason for him to smash uh, Yusuf Nurkic in the face the way he did. It just was completely unnecessary. Obviously, his track record comes in here. And now we're getting a lot of reporting that Draymond Green has basically said himself, like, yeah, I need I need help. I, this can't happen. Stephen Curry spoke about it last night uh, where he basically said, like, I, you know, it's not so much what he did. I just want to know the how and the why. Like, like, well, like, how does this keep happening? Why does this keep happening um, to him? And he was very clear, like, Draymond Green's like a brother to him. He wants him to get the help he needs. So everybody I've talked to thinks this is going to be no less than 10 games, but maybe closer in the range of 20, and that there's probably no way we see Draymond Green until uh, we're well past the new year at this point. 
So from a suspension standpoint, how much does he stand to lose per game? Yeah, a whole lot. And you should be talking this, man. You're the one who did all the math <laughs> on it. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a little complicated because right because thankfully it is complicated because it keeps keeps yeah you and I employed and, and in business here. Um, but they treat suspensions different if it's a uh, uh, 19 game or fewer suspension. The player lose loses one one hundred and forty fifth of his salary um for each game missed i know that's goofy and weird but that's how it works if it's a 20 or more game suspension so obviously that would be a much uh, more severe suspension the player loses one 110th of their salary for each game missed. now a lot of people have asked you know, why is it one 110th why is it not just 180 one of 82 part of the reason is they're kind of counting in there's preseason there's days in the season and there are uh, potentially playoff games so that's kind of what's being factored in here um so that's basically where it's at so he will lose uh as it stands today right now uh, he's losing about 153k almost 154k per game um that he's losing if this extension it's excuse me this is suspension extends uh, to 20 or more games that'll jump up to almost 203k uh per game that he will lose this does not affect his cap sheet, Correct. as I mentioned in my in the piece that I wrote up. And uh, but the the Warriors do stand to potentially have quite a bit of savings from a tax situation, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if you saw the reaction when we tweeted the piece out. A lot of people were like, "Wait, why are the Warriors benefiting from this?" Right. Part of what the NBA has done is in their agreement uh, with the the CBA is they basically say, hey, if a player gets suspended, because one of the things they're trying to do is, let's say this is something the team had nothing. Let's say it was Miles Bridges. The team didn't have anything to do with what he did. Um, They're trying to give the team a little bit of cover. So not only do they not pay him that money, the player, uh, the player's money then goes uh, goes into a league fund, which is generally then donated to charities. Um, but in the case of the Warriors, being a team that is well over the luxury tax line, uh, they give them a little bit of a tax uh, reduction. They, they basically take, again, super complicated, but let's just, they take half of it um, off of the luxury tax. Now, further complicating it, half off the luxury tax. So you're saying, all right, so 75K um, right now for Draymond Green. Yes, that's you know roughly 75K that comes off. But then what happens is, there's you have all the tax multipliers um, for the Warriors. The Warriors are currently paying um, for every dollar they're over the tax line. They're paying six point seven five dollars in penalty. It's again super complicated. It's not exactly that because there's tiers and you build up to that number. But they're 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 paying basically for every dollar they spend now. They pay almost seven dollars. Um, you know, is basically how that works, which is why you see the Warriors are like, eh, we're not in a huge rush to fill open roster spots and all that, because anybody they sign even to a veteran minimum, which now is prorated about you know, 1.7 million, they'd be paying that guy almost $10 million because of uh, you know, where they're at tax wise. So what happens is you cut his suspension amount in half. Then that comes off. So uh, I thought you did a really good job. It's a whole bunch of numbers, so it's not, you know, it probably, you know, people would get lost in it. Um, but go read the piece on Spot Track. They're going to save, you know, potentially somewhere in the range of, let's just say 15 to, you know, 
million ish, probably most likely, um, off their tax bill, and then, um, probably you know potentially in the range of you know is up to you know as much of you know uh, twenty million off the bill, and if, if for some reason it doesn't come back at all, that's like forty million dollars that they're gonna save, and these are real dollars, um, with the Warriors. So this is all part of uh you know what how this works in the NBA and I get people think it's a little unfair and not the right way to do it, but this is the way it works. Yeah. Like you said, this is not monopoly money. This is real dollars that the front office and owners will have to pay. And up until at most 19 games, they'll be saving about $520,000 per game that he misses. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) he, the Warriors, from where they started off in the season, they have already saved two and a half million dollars from his five yep. game suspension. So, yep. I mean, they started off with one hundred ninety one, hundred ninety five point one million dollar uh, potential tax bill, which is now at one hundred ninety two and a half as of yesterday. And as each game happens, I'm going to manually update the the luxury tax salary for Draymond Green, and if he does get over the twenty, then I'll you know, go back and update that. But with each game that happens, that luxury tax amount that is estimated will uh, get taken down. So uh, I I broke it down into the different scenarios of thresholds that, um, you know, I I felt were were important. Uh, For example, if they got to the 26th game, then that would drop them down out of this $6.75 tier down to strictly within the $6.25 tier. So, you know, they're saving an extra uh, money once they get to the $26, 26 games because there's less money being tacked on for being in that almost, you know, $6.75 range. Yeah, it's all Take super a look. complicated, um, but you it, put together really good um, tables that people go just go check them out and it's very clearly laid out there um and you could really look at it and it may even help people to understand how the tax tiers work because basically what happens is uh when you get to um let's just call it silly levels like the warriors are at um it it, the the bands are every five million but they basically jump about 75 cents um and then 50 cents and then it just keeps adding on uh dollar for dollar and but the lest we forget, the Warriors are basically penalized even more uh, because they're a repeater team. They've been in the tax uh, for several years running, so they're not in a spot where it is. Um, you know, they're they're just they 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 have not dipped their toes into the luxury tax. They're all the way in uh, over their head in like a fourteen foot deep pool um, right now. So it's it's yeah it it's it is staggering when you start looking at. The numbers and then all you have to do there is the other thing that i like to look at this from just the standpoint of so as of right now they pay 192 million or 192.5 million um in taxes that's on top of 208 million in regular salary they're over 400 million dollars approaching a half a billion dollars in payroll for this season so that is salaries plus taxes like that is just staggering when you start to factor in that. But then on the flip side, where they were just valued at like eight billion dollars or something. So again, I guess it's all working out in the end. Yep, it absolutely is. Uh, we'll we'll see uh, how this Warrior team moves forward. We'll see what the Draymond Green situation. It is completely fluid, and we will keep up with that 
minor minor transactions that have happened over the last uh, couple weeks here, or last you know at least week here, Keith. Any notable minor transactions that we need to take a look at? Scott, I'm going to tell you they all matter. They're all notable, but for most people, no, not not really. Um, it is. What is happening right now is you're seeing teams that the, the uh, G League season is it's roughly a month in um, to, to having started. And some teams are looking at it and saying, yeah, okay, we had on a two way. We don't really need him. What we really need is this. Some teams are assigning guys with the idea of let's let's protect ourselves um, on the regular roster. We might need need a player who does you know X instead of Y um, with that. So you're seeing some two way movement. Some of that is also. Teams are lining up. The G League Showcase is next week. Uh, the G League Showcase is when they bring all the G League teams, all 30 of them, uh, come in together. Um, and then what they do is they basically play a bunch of games um, each day against each other in a, a semi-pseudo showcase tournament style format. Um, and all all the NBA teams are there. All the NBA teams, you get a bunch of overseas teams. whole bunch of teams are there. And what they're all looking at is, uh, all right, who pops? Like, who looks really good out of the showcase? And what can happen is a lot of guys, this earns them either a two-way contract or a lot of times it earns them a 10-day. And sometimes just earns them, you know, this guy's good. Let's just get him signed and bring him up, have him on the main roster for the rest of the way. So what we've seen in the last week or so is some teams ahead of that have said, yeah, this guy's going to earn something out of it. Let's just get him now. Let's get this player right now so that we have them locked in. So you've seen a bunch of two-way moves uh, with this. We've seen a couple standard uh, moves that have been reported on and will execute. So the New York Knicks uh, waived Dylan Windler, who is at the end of their bench. They're going to bring in uh, Tom Thibodeau favorite, uh, Taj Gibson. Uh, is going to get another run here in the NBA and rejoin the Knicks. And part of that is Mitchell Robinson is out for uh, eight to ten weeks after ankle surgery, so they needed another big. Uh, so they go out and get somebody that Tibbs obviously knows and trusts and loves. So bring in that guy, and then the Indiana Pacers uh, signed James Johnson, an NBA veteran who was with them last year. This one screams, and eh, we're getting pushed around a little too much. We need somebody who's going to come in and. If we need to, we can throw him out there, and he's going to deliver a hard foul or two or ten and just call it good, and off we go. So let's get a tough veteran in the locker room again. We've got an open roster spot. Let's make this happen. So he'll he'll rejoin the Pacers. So we've got a handful of moves happening. Uh, Juan Toscano Anderson got a call up uh, from, from the G League to the Kings. Kings are going to sign him uh, to a standard contract. Again, probably the idea was – Somebody's going to see him. He's going to look pretty good. He's going to earn a deal out of the out of the showcase. So let's just get him on a standard contract right now. So this is all uh, very typical type maneuvering going on uh, for this time of year. And then you're going to start seeing in roughly three weeks, uh, we start seeing 10-day contracts open up and things like that. So you'll start seeing even more movement then. All right. You uh, you mentioned the valuations that came out. Uh, Sportico puts out valuations every year. This came out uh, for the NBA two days ago. Uh, the Golden State Warriors were valued at $8.28 billion. They're number one in the NBA. The New York Knicks came in at number two at $7.43 billion. And the Lakers are third at $7.34 billion. And then the uh, to round off the top five, the Boston Celtics are a distant $5.12 billion, and then the Chicago Bulls 
are number five at $4.83 billion. Uh, from a quick glance here, Keith, any surprises where certain teams may have landed? We won't spend a lot of time on this, but I thought it was important to at least mention uh, these valuations since they were released this week. Yeah, not really. Um, so two two quick thoughts. The Warriors, what, what did you say? It's $8.28 billion? Yes. The Warriors over eight billion now. Bought, the Warriors sold in 2010 for what was a record 450 million. So, like that, like just think of how that investment has like come. You know, I don't even know what that is. That's you know, that's you know, well over ten to multiple. Right? Is that close to twenty uh, time multiple that it's gone up? Like something like that. So that's just yeah. bonkers, right? Um, that that's where we're at for for a team that was like bottom of the barrel. Who is the Golden yeah. State Warriors for so many years, and now look at where they're crazy, at. right? So so um so anyway, that that's just the first thought. Uh, I believe the average uh, value was was about four billion dollars. Um, this is also important to note. This is all being done today, so this is pre new TV deal. Even with it sounding like the TV deal, they had hoped for two hundred percent increases in the uh, media rights revenue. It's probably going to be somewhere in the range of a hundred percent increase to maybe a hundred and fifty percent. So that will only increase the value when that comes in, because as far as I understand it, that was not factored into these valuations because that has not happened yet. This all leads to two two main thoughts. The league is super duper healthy right now. They're just in a spot where these teams are they're worth a ton, and they're, they they all even the small market tiny teams are worth you know billions upon billions of dollars, which leads me to and I'll just put. Uh, it's a little bit of self uh, uh, pub here. We've got we're running our expansion series for two reasons. One, it's coming, and the main reason it's coming, stuff like this. When teams are currently averaging four billion, you know they're going to get. That's going to be the minimum get in price. Now, my guess is for an expansion team, we're probably looking. I'm going to guess closer to the range of four and a half to five billion. That does not mean. The new Seattle team, new Las Vegas team. Yes, I'm saying Seattle and Las Vegas because that's where they're going to go. I am very confident in that. It doesn't mean that's what those teams are worth day one, but you have to plus it up because you have to pay the owners to to agree. The other 30 owners have to agree to split their pie 32 ways and basically let you in the club and how you pay to get let in the club is I'm going to give you more money than what, you know, your franchises, you know, your average franchise is worth. And that's, let's say $9 billion gets split up amongst 30 teams, 300 million ish a piece. And off we all go happy. And that's money that they do not split with the players. Uh, that money just goes direct into those ownership groups, pockets and bank accounts. And off they go. Yeah. And with Sportico, they, they uh, their formula encompasses everything. Uh, from ticket sales to revenue to their stadium situation to technology to everything is uh, brought in from that standpoint. Uh, so it's not just you know strictly you know, uh, you know ticket sales like it used to mm-hmm. be you know ten years ago. They've recalculated their formula and they encompass everything and what is in the future. So you know the RSNs that are in, in limbo right now. Uh, could 
potentially affect some of these valuations. Yep. You know, the Dallas Mavericks, I'm guessing based on the timing that this came out, the Dallas Mavericks, that sale hasn't been included in this. So they may jump up come 2024 when this comes out. But we've had a lot of sales in the NBA, the Phoenix Suns, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yep. Well, and um, on so, top of that, we just saw Oklahoma City voters just approved uh, for them to build mm -hmm. a new stadium, which they're going to pay for largely with taxpayer money. Now, I know a lot of people don't like that stuff, but they voted on it in the past at 70%. So they were clearly pretty happy, it seems like, uh, there. You know, that's a pretty wide margin, 70%. We don't see most uh, things pass with a 70%. Uh, you know, approval. So that seems like they were very happy. We want to keep our team. We want to have them here. And in, in your neck of the woods, there you've got the uh, the the, the <laughs> Wizards potentially move in. Um, you know, around. And although I know that seems that all seems very odd to me because it seems like there's no they, they're announcing things, but with no real approval. So it might be a you know, yeah, we're announcing it, and then other teams have been uh, they've been moving to the same area. Area, I think you might have been, you might have even been the one who told me for what twenty years now <laughs> they've been they're they're moving there. I guess it's a, just a very slow uh, move. So we'll see what happens. But again, this is all signs of the league is in a great place. Like they they really are in a spot where you know this stuff is all going to come uh, together. And and we found out from the Mavs sale just because we talked about it previous. Uh, Mark Cuban's keeping 25% of the team, which keeping that much and also retaining control over the basketball ops, that likely depressed the total value of the franchise that he sold at because most people would say, ah, I, you know, I'll give you more if you give me the whole deal, right? It's like, it's like buying a, a four bedroom house and saying, but actually this one bedroom you can't have, like that stays mine. You're probably going to say, all right, well, I'm not going to give you as much then. So I think that, you know, I think the Mavs could have gone for more if he wanted to fully cash out and get out of it entirely, which clearly doesn't want to do. So, yeah, we're 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 in a spot where I've, I, I don't know that the league's ever been healthier financially uh, than it is right now. Totally agree. If you're interested, go check out the Sportico piece and uh, see where your favorite team has landed from a valuation standpoint. All right, Keith, let's get out of here. What is next on your docket? Uh, right now, it's going to be um, we're going to change focus just slightly into um, a lot on the focus on the G League. The showcase is next week. It's right here in Orlando, um, so I'll be able to check some of that out. I'm going to see a lot of people in person um, that I'll be able to talk to, whether it be folks from teams or agents, and uh, you know some players, and really get a sense um, of you know where are we going, right? Where where are we going? Um, you know, with some of these guys. So we're going to put something together. We do it every year um, right around and after the showcase. So, hey, the, here's the guys. Here's the next list of guys to keep an eye on coming out of the G League, whether that be for a two-way contract or a 10-day call-up or anything like that. So we'll have that uh, coming out of that. And then we're going to get into some uh, more trade stuff and next contract stuff. And we've got the expansion series is still going to keep going. So just, you know, We've got a lot of really great stuff planned. And then obviously, you know, we'll hit a point here in the next month or so where you and I will be uh, buried in getting ready for the trade deadline. And then that'll be, you know, buyers and sellers pieces. And we'll be into a whole bunch of spots and all, and all that stuff. So I think it's, um, you know, we're, 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 we've got a lot of stuff coming. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, I will agree with that. And uh, if you are looking to ask questions, uh, hit Keith Smith up at, at Keith Smith NBA. 
Keith, we will talk next week. Oh, hey, heads up for everybody. Just yep. to, uh, next week, we're going to do a mailbag. Um, you know, pre, oh, pre-holiday. Yep. So, you know, just, just let us know if you've got any questions, um, you know, that you want asked about anything, you know, the stuff we talk about here on the show, you know, just let us know and we'll, we'll, uh, you know, we're happy to, um, you know, really go, um, you know, go into whatever your questions are and all that. So you can send those via Twitter. You can email me my emails in my bio on Twitter, um, or you can, you know, uh, you know, however you want to get it to us, just get it to us and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll do a mailbag. I'll also put a tweet out uh, later in the week. All right, for Keith Smith, I am Scott Allen. Thanks for listening to the NBA Next Podcast.